so uh, we will be going over, well, I just listed a couple of uh, Trinitarian, uh, let's say, false beliefs. Not all of these are heresies, rightly defined, uh, because there are people who believe these things that we wouldn't say are heretics. But we would say these are, many of these are dangerous beliefs and some of them are heresies. So I'll kind of try to distinguish for you which is which. So we talked about what the Trinity is, one God and three persons. That one God is equally all the divine. Uh, each person of the Trinity is rightly called God and Lord and, and uh, creator. But we want to be able to distinguish between what they do. Now, when we distinguish between them, we, we end up in a bunch of different false teachings. The first one, probably one of the earliest ones, is a false teaching called Arianism. Uh, now, Arianism, uh, the modern day form of Arianism, is Jehovah's Witness theology. So, the, what the Arians believed uh, is that Jesus was uh, the highest creation, the, the greatest creation of God, but was not himself creator, Lord, and God. So, we could write, so when the New Testament refers to Jesus as God, uh, for example, Thomas says, my Lord and my God, at the end of the Gospel of John, they would say, he, Thomas is rightly speaking about Jesus as God because he's beyond Thomas, but he's not God in the same way that the Father is God. That makes sense? So, Jesus is the highest creation, the greatest creation of the Godhead, but is not God himself, okay? That's called Arianism. Um, basically, uh, yeah, this is what the uh, Nicene Creed and the Constantinople Creed uh, are formed out of the Arian controversy. And this belief uh, is, is bad for a number of reasons, but one of the reasons it's, it's contradictory is that, well, if Jesus is not God, then, then the New Testament revelation about him is unintelligible, okay? Because he receives worship as God. He, he does things that only God can do, and he acts as though he is God, so if Jesus is not God, he's deceiving his followers. He's, he's, he's misleading them. And furthermore, uh, it, divides, uh, it divides the Trinity up. And it basically says there's only one Father. And Jesus is a creation of the Father. And the Holy Spirit also is a creation of the Father. And so when we worship Jesus, we're not really worshiping God. Well, if you're a Jew, that's the second commandment, right? First commandment, you shall have no other gods before me. Second commandment, you shall not worship me in any kind of improper way, right? You can't worship something that's not God as though it is God and still be a monotheist, faithful follower of Yahweh, okay? That's, that's one of the problems with, with Arianism. So now that is one of the tendencies to go and say Jesus is not God, he's, he's man or he's some creation of God. It takes away his deity and kind of magnifies his humanness. And these are tendencies you'll see in all of these Trinitarian false beliefs is they have a tendency to slip into either making Jesus less than God uh, or less than human, but they kind of they kind of slip the scale on either way there. So Arianism is is the first one. It's probably one of the most well known ones. Um, closely related to Arianism is what's called adoptionism, uh, which is basically the idea that Jesus lives his earthly life in perfect obedience to the Father, and he's adopted as an obedient child of the Father, and thus he is resurrected and as the firstborn of the rest of humanity. But he's not. He's not God when he's born. He simply is an obedient man who follows perfectly and is obedient to God. And thus he's adopted as the son of God. That makes sense. So it also diminishes his deity. It says he's not divine, but he becomes divine or he's adopted as part of the divine family. Both of those are beliefs that uh, diminish the deity of Christ. The second belief 
that is at least listed for you on your sheet there is called modalism uh, or Sibelianism. Sibelius is just the teacher who advocates for it. Uh, just like Arianism is named after the teacher who advocated for it. Sibelianism uh, is also referred to as modalism. It's the idea that God uh, exists in three different modes, but he is not really three distinct persons and one God. It's one God who reveals himself in different ways to creation, but each of those ways is not the true God. It's kind of just ways of him revealing himself to us. So um, you could say this is the, the water analogy from, from the video. Um, that he that water can be in a frozen state as as ice it can be in a liquid state and it can also be in a vaporous state that's modalism right because water can't exist at all three of those places in the same time and not all three of those are the same essence now if you're really into chemistry water can actually exist at all three of those states at the exact same time in the right pressure and temperature circumstances but for general analogical purposes uh, you won't be able to see that kind of thing on earth in a normal environment so the Trinity is not modalistic, meaning we're not saying that the, the Son is one mode of God and the Father is a different mode of God and the Spirit is a different mode of God. And there are many today who profess something like modalism. Uh, most notably in, uh, in the Pentecostal movement, there's many who would profess something like a modalistic doctrine of, of God. Um, one of those who uh, led to a ton of controversy with a, a pastor that I grew up under uh, is a man named T.D. Jakes who is a, he's a modalist. He professes modalistic understanding about who Jesus is, who the Father is, and who the Son is. And he has been confronted on this. He's never recanted of it. Uh, so modalism isn't just something stuck in the early church. It's something that persists today. The problem with modalism is you, you can't actually know God truly if you only know him in these various modes, right? Think about a coworker that you might have a relationship with that has a totally different life privately at their home. You can't actually know them truly as they are if you just know them as a coworker, right? You don't know them in, in their essence of who they are. And so to worship a modalistic God is to worship a God you don't actually know. It's a, it's a God you know in a kind of way, but not in a real way, not, not the core of who God is. You only know one mode of how he reveals himself to you, okay? So that's modalism. Uh, the other belief which is listed there, it's a long name. Uh, it's called Macedonianism or Pneumomanichaeanism which is named after a fourth century bishop who denies the Holy Spirit's divinity. So this is one that kind of slips under the radar in most Trinitarian controversy because the Holy Spirit is a very debated figure in the early church, just like the deity of Christ is. And so with most Christological heresies, most Trinitarian heresies, uh, we see it as debating how the, the Son relates to the Father. In this one, uh, it basically denies the Holy Spirit's divinity. It says the Holy Spirit is uh, either a mode of God or uh, it might say that the Holy Spirit is inferior to the Father and the Son, kind of being sent by them as eminences of them, but that the Holy Spirit is not God. Now, this is a false belief because, as we saw in Acts chapter 5, Peter says the Holy Spirit is God. He says when you lie to the Holy Spirit, you're lying to God. So, uh, it, it flies in the face of what Scripture says, so it was condemned as a heretical belief. The other one, uh, which listed for you here, is called Nestorianism. Now, Nestorianism, uh, to understand this one, you have to kind of put yourself in the understanding of what are the different debates going on in the early church. Uh, the one tendency would be to make God, um, or to make Jesus not truly God, that's Arianism. Nestorianism does something which is a little bit more nuanced. It basically says at the incarnation, what happens is that when the divine and the human kind of come together, uh, they come together in a way where they're not actually... Um, 
they're not actually united in any kind of real way. The divine maintains a separation from the human. And it's not a distinction where we would say, well, he's, they're distinguishing between the divine and the human, but saying he's really one person. Uh, a Nestorian would, would rightly say that, that Jesus is rather, his divine is kind of impinging on his human, or sometimes his human impinges upon his divine, but they keep the divine and human separate, right? So Nestorians would keep those things separate to a point where you would say that Jesus is kind of like a split person. It's like two wills wrestling inside of, of the incarnation. So uh, this, this doctrine is rejected, and as Trinitarian Christians, we would affirm what's called the hypostatic union, which is how the divine and the human natures of Christ interact together. And the reason we need to reject uh, Nestorianism is because it, it weakens, like Arianism, the redemption of Christ. It, it weakens his redemptive work because what it basically says is, well, what Christ is in his incarnation is a, is a human vessel, a human vehicle, which absorbs the divine will, the divine mind. And, well, if that's the case, he's not truly human because he's just, he's just God in human form, but not in the way we would say God in human form. He's, he's really God masquerading as a human. And he's not a real human, which means, if you're thinking about how does he atone for our sins as our substitute, he can't because he's not a human in our place. That's how Nestorianism falls short. So the, the belief in Nestorianism, right, is that you can't have the divine and human wills fused together. You can't really understand that. It's a mystery. So they say, okay, we'll do away with that. It's a, it's a human body with a divine mind kind of in it, okay? Similar to this is an idea which is called monophysitism, which is uh, also different from Nestor Nestorianism, kind of comes out of the Nestorian controversy. Um, and this just has to do with the wills of God. How many wills are there in, in Jesus? It, does Jesus have one will or two wills? Okay. When you think about Jesus praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, right? he says to the Father, not my will, but your will be done. Here's the question. Does Jesus have one will or two wills? And if he has one will, is that will a divine will or a human will? So, Orthodox Christians, Orthodoxy and Christianity would say Jesus has two wills, not one will. Jesus has both a divine and a human will in his incarnation. Now, what this, what this means is that, well, when he's speaking in, re in relation to his human will, he can say things like, I submit to you, not my will, but your will be done, speaking in his humanity. His human will is submitted to the Father. But we would not say that his divine will is submitting to the Father because, well, his divine will is the will of the Father, Right? So in the incarnation, Jesus has two wills. Uh, we, we'd call this dithelitism or uh, uh, monophysitism or monothelitism, which is the one will. Uh, that's a false belief because Jesus has two wills, the divine and the human will. And this is the best way to make sense of how Jesus can submit to the will of the Father in his earthly ministry and yet still be co-equal in substance with the Father. And, I've, and all of those that I've just listed, we, I think, would rightly be classified as heresies, false teachings. Um, although there are people who advocate for a monothelite or a monophysite position today who are relatively popular uh, in the evangelical church. Uh, but I think that they are inconsistent in themselves, not really advocating for heresy um, at that point. But now, uh, I've just listed you some letters, E-R-A-S. And this is, uh, well... I would say this is not a heresy, although it, it, it comes, it's really close to being a heresy, okay? So let me try to distinguish this. Um, 
ERAS stands for the Eternal Relations of Authority and Submission. It also goes by another name, which I won't uh, burden you with right now. Uh, ERAS is kind of the official name by the people who advocate for this position. It's the, the name they chose for themselves, um, as opposed to the other names which, have been, which were kind of put on them. Uh, ERAS is a position which basically says the, the Son is eternally submissive to the will of the Father. It, within the Trinity, there is an eternal authority-submission relationship, which basically says the Son is always submissive to the will of the Father, not just in his earthly ministry, but from time eternal and even into uh, the future. Does that make sense? That's what, that's what an ERAS uh, person would say. Now, the, the issue with this, the issue with ERAS, is that it, it, it divides the Trinity up because in order for one part of the Trinity, Christ, to submit to another person of the Trinity, the Father, well, they need to have different wills which submit to each other because wills are what submit to other things. The problem with this, you'll notice very quickly, is that if one person of the Trinity has one will, which is authoritative over another person of the Trinity, well, there is not just one will in the divine. Now there's at least two and possibly three wills in the divine, meaning, well, you don't have three persons. At that point, you almost have three gods going on. You have one God who's the authoritative God and two other gods, the Son and the Spirit, which are like lesser gods submitted to the authoritative God. That's a, that is a Trinitarian heresy. But those who advocate for ERAS would say something like, there is a submission between the Son eternally to the Father, but it's kind of still part of the divine will. So the, I would say it's a strange position to hold. Um, it was advocated for out of a rather interesting kind of controversy uh, regarding how male and female can be equal and yet... Uh, still submit that female that wives can submit to their husbands and they would say this is like how the son submits to the father it's like it's not quite a good relationship to draw because well the trinity is incomprehensible divine mystery and so you're not going to try to take a mysterious thing and make it make sense on the ground for a you know more easily to understand human relationship it's called eras um this one is i want to be clear is not a heresy but it comes dangerously close uh, this is advocated for um, uh, actually, uh, if you have Wayne Grudem's systematic theology, he would advocate for a position like this, what's called ERAS or EFS. Um, also, a guy at Southern Theological Seminary, Bruce Ware, has advocated for this position. Um, these are not heretical teachers, false teachers by any means, but I would say, at least at this point, their, their theology of the Trinity is rather uh, shaky. Now, the reason I want to at least talk about that one in relation to false understandings of the Trinity is because... While Arianism is part of like a cult group that's outside of Christianity, and all of those other ones are really foreign to Orthodox Christianity today, ERAS is probably the one that threatens our understanding of the Trinity the most in evangelical theology. So if you want to talk about people who have influence in Orthodox evangelical theology, ERAS is the belief that probably most threatens our good understanding of who the Trinity is. Now, having gone through all of those false teachings, if you look back at the Council of Nicaea, how they craft that statement, you'll notice how they craft the statement in such a way that they avoid all the false teachings, actually rejecting all of them, and speaking truly about who God is in nature. And uh, just looking at, as they speak about the Lord Jesus, they say he's the only begotten son of God, meaning he has a relationship, an economic relationship to the Father. He's begotten of the Father before all worlds, meaning he's not part of creation, he's begotten before all worlds. He's God of God, same substance with the Father, meaning you can't have Arianism in there. He's light of light, very God of very God. He's begotten, 
not made. So as they're defining begottenness, they're saying that doesn't mean he was created by the Father. And he is of one substance with the Father by whom all things were made. So they're distinguishing between Jesus as being a separate person in the Trinity from God. So they're not modalistic. But they're also saying that he's, he's also of the same substance with the Father. So the Trinitarian confession at Nicaea is there is one God, one substance in the Godhead. And there are three persons within that one substance of God, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, who are each distinct persons and yet all part of the one triune God. Any deviation from that, any, tri- any trying to kind of parse that out more neatly, leads to any of those false teachings that we've, we've just mentioned. So with that, I'll pause uh, and give you opportunity for questions. And uh, if not, you can stretch your legs and uh, get a drink.